Some shows only talk about one little thing. How boring. One little subject all the time. But not us. Welcome to the Infinite Worlds Podcast. The show that talks about a little bit of everything. Giving you insight and interesting points of view. We love current events, anime, comic books, entertainment news, and information status updates on current projects, sci-fi movies, and video games. And we'll be covering The Ballad of the Outlands, an awesome original comic being created by Infinite Worlds Publishing at the end of the show. So make sure you listen all the way through. This is the Infinite Worlds Podcast. Here's Victorious Wolf with co-host DK Thomas, D-Mark, and Ivory Mike. Good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. I'm Victorious Wolf, and I'm sitting here with the rest of the Infinite Worlds roster. We got Ivory Mike. We have Hi. DK Thomas, and we have Demarcus. Mazel off. And we're going to talk about some very interesting things today. There are some things that have been coming to light that a lot of people are kind of scared of. They're kind of, uh, waiting to see what's going to happen. And number one would be the whole MCU battle for its characters. Now, from what I understand, DK Thomas has a little bit more insight to exactly what's going on. Let the people know. Uh, Well, thanks a lot for that warm invite. And it's good to be with you, uh, all you party people here. There's a lot of uh, talk about creators' rights these days and, well, a little thing called copyright law. And apparently, uh, after a certain period of time, creators, uh, unless they have some sort of a standing agreement, can uh, file to get the copyrights canceled. So the state of Steve Ditko, legendary artist of and co-creator of uh, Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, has... Uh, filed suit to uh, get those copyrights stricken and, and let the estates hold on to them rather than uh, Marvel Comics. This may be a, a rise in the way that you'll see all these uh, different variants, because I think it might be very specific, like they could get back Peter Parker, but they couldn't get back Miles Morales. So if something happened and the Steve Ditko estate got a hold of Miles Morales, what would generally happen, Marvel would still be able to to make content, video games, TVs, movies, et cetera, like that. But they would have to pay a a larger share of the profits with the uh, estate holders, which in all honesty, I think it's fair. And, you know, I used to be like, oh, man, I won't get to see my favorite uh, comic books guys anymore. But you know what? You will, because these people know that, the characters are in good hands. They just want to get a share of the creator-owned right. And honestly, maybe they should. I'm definitely all for creator-owned rights. And, uh, you know, so right now it's going to go through some wrangling. But the problem is Disney owns everything, and they've got some great lawyers. So I'll either, you know, we'll either see it, you know, stuck in court for forever, or uh, they'll come up with a, a quiet little contract extension or something to, to keep everyone quiet for a while. Or the better news is that uh, these people will actually get a hold of the characters that Steve Ditko created, and um, they'll be able to actually get real payment and um, take a royalty. And I think that's a good idea. Yeah, Disney's seen it like they were hired as contractors, right? And then they came in and they got their fee already for, or their payment for whatever is was produced. Yeah, so basically to say that they they have no ownership of the characters. Yeah. However, but American copyright law does give you a period of like 50 to 60 years if you can prove that you created it. They've already made the assertion that Steve Ditko was creator. So, 
And if he has documents or something proven that he came up with everything and Stan just said, oh, I'd like to make the name Spider-Man, but Steve Ditko did everything else, he created Peter Parker. He created the look, the costume, the webs, the whole thing, you know, all the backstory and basically all the villains from the entire couple first years of, of the character. Well, if he can prove that and his estate can prove that, then uh, hey, he'd be entitled according to the how the law is written. Which, you know what, I understand the reasoning for it and I understand how this can be good, but it also can have a lot of negative backlash or a lot of negative situations that could pop up and, you know, sometime here, here and then in the future. If this does go through, what's to stop, say, for instance, just like the story that we're working on, if we were to hire somebody on to come on and, and do something for us. I'm not saying create the character from scratch, but do some type of creating in the process. But we hired them to do it. Does that entitle them in, in that 50 or 60 years once we become multi billionaires for uh, for some of our money? Let's say we were to have somebody build a bowl. We eat cereal out of this bowl every day, and it's the, like the best bowl everywhere anyway. And it's, it's completely delicious. It makes everything delicious. And then this maker 10 years later comes back and says, hey, you know what? I need that bowl back. It's I made it. So it's it's mine. I think that kind of opens the door for some interesting conflicts. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But it's just look, let's take it in this. If you're going to go this route, let's take it this route. If our artist that's working on the graphic novel right now, he can't really say I created these characters. He was okay. given the art. All he's doing is just drawing what's already been drawn. Okay. However, the designer could say, I co-created these characters Okay. Um, in 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> so if, for example, if you were a jerk and didn't take care of the people that helped you get to where you get to, okay. and you're very, very successful, but the guy that designed everything from your notes is, you know, eating dog food and can't make rent. Well, I'd probably, I'd think that that's horrible. If, and he may have a case 50 years from now, but I mean, he's got to survive all that time. Uh, <laughs> hey, honestly, I, made I, it. I, I do, I do understand years. your point. Yeah, yeah. I, I do and understand your point because of course, in, in any industry where entertainment, a lot of times the creator's, they kind of get the short end of the stick. I mean, even when I was thinking about, man, it would be really cool to kind of sell, you know, some movie making ability of the Ballad of the Outlands, which is what we're working on right now. You know, because I have some friends of mine that I met through my previous job that are directors and things of that nature. And they told me how much they pay for stories sometimes as well as how much how much Netflix pays for a story. For instance, Netflix see, might see, oh man, you got a good story here and they buy it, but they'll buy it straight out. Like they own all the rights, everything having to do with that. They'll, say, they'll pay you up front, maybe a million dollars. Let's say three years down the line, whatever you had is so awesome that it starts selling $50 million, $100 million. And you start selling, you know, clothes and, and toys and things of that nature until it, it turns into a multi-billion dollar idea i mean i think it's really messed up that you created that and i mean yeah you did sell it for the one million dollars that you got whatever which me personally i would never let it go like that knowing that knowing that that is the situation i would never let it go i would always try to retain some of the creative ownership for infinite worlds because of that reason so i can a understand. prime example was uh mike mignola and uh, Hellboy. I mean, that cat ain't never been happy with any of the movies. Is uh, George R. R. Martin, is he happy with the TV show as far as um, the way it turned out? No, no. See, see. So, yeah, I feel like you, Carlton. I wouldn't release all of it, all the rights, you know, so I feel you on that. Yeah, there's too many things that could happen, and we've seen it too many times. I mean, all of us have at least viewed the entertainment business in some type of whether it's in a movie or we read about it or whatever the case may be. And we don't want to be that, you know, put their heart, their soul, their blood, sweat and tears into something and then see it flourish, which is a great, great thing. But see it flourish without you is definitely a punch in the gut. 
So like I said, I understand it from both sides because depending on what happens and what we're going to see, you know, if one side wants to be real petty, I can see how this would mess up the MCU as we know it. I mean, honestly, if Disney didn't want to pay out, because that's what's inevitably what's going to happen. I mean, let's be honest. Looking at how this is going and everything that's going on, of course, it starts off with Spider-Man, but of course, Marvel is suing them, you know, preemptive strike. So I understand why they're doing it and I get it. And I really don't want it to end the MCU as we know it, because I love it. I love the way that they're kind of displaying the characters. The only thing that I ever had any type of issue with Spider-Man, well, the new Spider-Man anyways, I find him annoying, overly needy, and his his voice just irks me. He's ah. a kid. Have a care. It's only because he mirrors the weakness that you feel inside towards yourself. Stop. You're only projecting the hatred towards him that you feel towards your own inadequacies which are just only fabricated by your own insecurities. What, did you look that up on the computer or something? What, did you Google that? I think he was no. talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, sir? Right? I don't like any person that age. Well, especially now, man, everything that's been going on with the newer generation, I wonder, I'd wonder where we're going to be at in 50 years. I mean, hell, even something as crazy as the milk crate challenge. You heard of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. hey, a few weeks ago, they were doing the, what was it? The dishwasher thing. Dishwasher thing. I don't know nothing about dishwasher. They were eating thing. the dishwasher balls. The, uh, oh, no, that was like, that was a while ago. But yeah, I know yeah. what you're talking about. That's progressive. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't. I don't understand it, man. I was watching a video, and, and this is the thing. People want me to feel bad about laughing at these people. I don't feel bad about nothing. Look, if you're 60 years old, right, and you get talked into getting up on milk crates, 10 milk crates high, you ain't getting no sympathy from me. I'm going to laugh at you just like I'm going to laugh at anybody else because you made that decision. So yeah. as a very interesting character on Rocky once said, if he dies, he dies. That's it. Yeah. Bottom uh, of the food chain, man. <laughs> that's that's all I got. I know we got off subject. I thought that was a very interesting uh, point. I was giving you some some details on why I dislike the Spider-Man we have. So do we have anything to add on our uh, our first subject or are we good to go? Is everybody pretty, pretty satisfied? Yeah. I say yes, yes. Oh. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty satisfied. I can use a snack. I'll probably oh. take a nap afterwards or oh. smoke a cigarette. Oh, my. Yes, that's quite so. A Mizol uh, 240D, which is uh, made with the chemical ingredients which cause you to be addicted to a substance. And please enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, this is fantastic. So, all right, next. This podcast uh, is sponsored by Newport. <laughs> <laughs> it is not. It is most certainly not. We don't sponsor Newport or anything having to do with stickerettes. I don't even like stickerettes. All right. I've spent enough time around stickerettes and, 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 and lived in that crap. And I t- tell you what, if, if I'd never seen another stickerette in my life, I'd be happy. That's right. I said stickerette. All right, so next subject. What if episode number three? Now, this one was a very interesting episode, man. Did everybody see this? Yes. Yeah. I refuse. (laughs) Okay. So, spoiler alert to everybody that doesn't want to hear about the what if episode three now. But I will say this. If you haven't watched it, then, you know, just be honest, you're doing it to yourself. As far as spoilers concerned. All right. But basically, we have a world in the start of the Avengers, right? We have Agent Romanoff and we have Nick Fury, and they're going to talk to Iron Man about Tony Stark about actually starting the Avengers initiative, similar to what we had in the movies. Now, as the conversation is going back and forth between uh, Tony Stark and... uh, had a brain fart. Tony Stark and 
Nick Fury. Nick Fury. Ah, yes, Mr. Mr. <laughs> Nick Fury. As they were going back and forth, Nick Fury pretty much points out that Tony doesn't really do very good by himself, 100%. And he points to his uh, necrosis or whatever, basically, that he's getting from his arc reactor. Now, S.H.I.E.L.D. has worked on some type of cure or treatment for what's going on, and he offers it to Tony. Well, he actually doesn't really offer it to Tony. Uh, Romanoff walks over there and sticks it in him and says, hey, you know, this is what we're going to do for you. So basically, Iron Man dies and nobody knows why. It's it's this big mystery. The first Avenger to be recruited is dead. So, of course, because Romanoff was the last person to touch Tony Stark while he was alive, she gets brought in for questioning as a possible suspect. Now, as we all know, Nick Fury is a very interesting character who does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. So he already knows that Black Widow isn't actually at fault for this, but allows her to kind of get caught and, I guess, go rogue for a little while to find out exactly what happened. After this, we end up fast forwarding to when we met Thor. Now, Thor showed up in Midgard, which is what they call Earth to get his hammer because his hammer showed up just like it did in movies. So Thor gets in and he goes and he actually goes and starts beating up the people from S.H.I.E.L.D. that are actually around the hammer where they're stationed up. And he gets to his hammer and Agent Barton, which is Hawkeye, is aiming an arrow at his chest, basically tell, asking Nick Fury what he wants to do because somebody's about to pick up the hammer. Now, unknowing this to us is... The arrow magically shoots out of Barton's hands and hits Thor in the chest, which was kind of interesting because I was kind of confused about that myself. I'm like, what? Okay, so a normal arrow hits him and and pierces his chest into his heart and he's dead. I'm like, this is Thor. How? How? Let's circle back on that because I'm human about that. He's human. Yeah, he was human at that time. Oh, you know what? Did he get his powers taken away by Odin? Yeah. You know what? You're right. You're right. That's right. And then he earned them back. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You're right. Okay, so moving on. Basically, Thor is dead. Of course, it looks like Hawkeye did it. Hawkeye is maintaining his innocence, basically, you know, in the cell, trying to figure out what happened because, you know, he doesn't miss. He doesn't slip. He's Hawkeye. So as this was going on, Nick Fury goes in to talk to Hawkeye and Hawkeye slumped over and he's dead as well. So it becomes fairly obvious to Nick Fury at this time that somebody is actually targeting all the people that he wants to go talk to to join the Avengers initiative. We forward to the next person in the lineup, which is the Incredible Hulk or Bruce Banner. Now, Black Widow is actually going to see Betty, which is a microbiologist, I think, or something along the lines of that. And she's there for a different reason altogether. She goes back and forth with Betty about trying to figure out exactly what killed Tony in the very beginning. Now, Nick Fury actually gives a sends out a phone call to Black Widow. Black Widow picks up and she hears the bad news about Clint. Now, everybody that follows the story knows that Clint and Black Widow have a very, very close relationship. I was a bit confused about that relationship myself. So one another thing that we'll circle back on because it's a very interesting dynamic. Anyways, so Black Widow and, and Nick Fury kind of go back and forth for a second. Okay, well, the thing about it is that we need to find Banner is what they're saying. So Black Widow notices because of her detective skills or her uh, ingenuity, whatever you want to call it. She sees that there are some things that shouldn't be in a science lab. And she basically says that she found them. And basically she finds Bruce Banner hiding in a cabinet or something along the lines of that. So at that point, we pick up where Bruce Banner, there's a standoff between the general, which is Betty's father, and Bruce Banner, which he becomes the Hulk in the first Hulk movie. Was that the first Hulk movie? Yeah, I think it was the first Hulk movie. And basically all the events rolled out 
somewhat similar to a certain extent with the addition of Black Widow. However, in this situation, there is something that is shot or, or presumably shot into Hulk or Bruce Banner right before he turns into Hulk. So, of course, that enrages Bruce Banner, which in turn turns into the Hulk. The Hulk goes on to a rampage. Everybody starts moving out of the way and then, the, and then everything starts unfolding in the same way that we saw in the first Hulk. And all of a sudden, the Hulk explodes. All right. Another thing that I was very, very, very taken back about, I'm like, dude, did the Hulk just die? This is the Hulk that we're talking about. I mean, who can kill the Hulk like that? Uh, once again, I was very taken back about this. So then, of course, Black Widow, you know, leaves the scene being that she is one of the final ones that are in the Avengers initiative beside herself and Nick Fury, which I didn't know that Nick Fury was a part of the Avengers roster. I just thought he was their handler, so to speak. But apparently he's on the list. So they actually start asking some questions. Natasha goes off on her own and starts doing some research in some type of library. She finds some interesting data about hope, which she relays that information to Nick Fury, which well, she, she tries to before whoever this assailant is that's killing everybody actually attacks her and kills her. Now she gets to leave a message for Nick Fury, which Nick Fury is then able to do some research to find out, to have a good idea of what's going on. So moving a little bit forward, we go into Nick Fury actually speaking to or getting in line to a certain extent with Loki about trying to figure out what's going on and finding out who killed Thor, because of course, Loki wants to take over. Loki doesn't actually want revenge. He just wants to look good and take over the earth. And this is his way in. So basically we fast forward to Nick Fury standing in a graveyard next to Hope Pym's uh, grave. Now, for those of you that don't know who that is, that is the daughter of Hank Pym, the guy who actually was the founder or the creator of the all of the Ant-Man technology and things of that nature. So right around here is when we get our answer to why all of the members of the Avengers were getting assaulted and murdered. Hank Pym shows up. Now, I don't know exactly what the Divergent here was in the sacred timeline or what exactly happened. I'm guessing Hope Van Dyke or Hope Pym died in some type of very interesting way oh she died on some type of shield assignment which makes hank pym go completely off his rocker and he dons the yellow jacket costume now with his technology as well as you know everything else he's doing he actually killed all the avengers himself which is let me tell you i never knew that ant-man i mean i thought about it but i never knew that he was that powerful that he could do that much damage and I guess you don't really know. And that's kind of where we end this it because the Nick Fury that's standing in front of him turns out to be Loki transformed into Nick Fury. And, you know, they go back and forth. Yellow Jacket slash Hank Pym is caught. And that's the end of that. Now, once again, I thought that was a very interesting episode. I wasn't prepared for what happened whatsoever. And once again, I didn't know that Ant-Man had that have a power. What did you guys think about this episode? Took me by surprise. I was shocked. But, I mean, what can you, the way it ended, though, you can't be surprised by it because, I mean, Loki just gives off that I can't trust you vibe, you know? Absolutely. I enjoyed it, and I was surprised at uh, Hank Pym at, at the end also. I do like the very end when he was kind of putting together, you know, starting to put together another team. Well, I guess not another team, but he was, or he had discovered Captain America and mm -hmm. and then uh what's her face there? What's her name? Who showed up at the oh, end? Oh, Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, yeah, that's yeah. it. Sorry. That was a really good episode. I like the fact that they're using the real voice actors too. And, yeah. And it was good, man. I liked it. Okay. And Don, you didn't see it, did you? You say you didn't see it, right? No, I don't watch any of the Marvel movies going forward anymore. Oh, oh my. I'll let you know. I'll let you know when my boycott is over. But right now, I'm kind of <laughs> okay. I got you. Kind of angry Understood. with him. Understood. I understand your upsetness. We talked about that briefly, but you know we're not going to get it. But uh, Steph, 
Uh, so I liked Agent Colson's password too. That was pretty good. That was that was pretty. What good. was it? I it was heart. Like, yeah, Steve, Steve, Steve. I love I, Steve. I, I, I heart Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Steve Rogers. Yeah, I think I think he definitely had a thing for him. All right. So with that being said, we're gonna move on to the Star Wars anime episode number one. I saw it, loved it. Yeah. Saw that it was a different twist on things. I was very surprised at what they did. I'll let our Star Wars officiato, Mr. Uh, Ivory Mike, jump in on that one. It was good. It was really good. It was produced by Kamikaze Duga. I don't know. I'm not familiar with them, but it was amazing. And as I did a little bit more research, I guess the character Ronan is part of Japanese lore. So they kind of mixed him into it. He wasn't a Jedi. It was almost like he was a a Sith hunter, almost really, a wanderer. Yeah. But I guess there's a novel. It's called Ronan, or Vision's novel. It's by Emma Emma Miko Kandon. I guess it ties into that world. So it's more about that character, which... uh, yeah, I liked it, man. I liked the animation, the mix of all the different Star Wars characters or types of aliens. The little kid who raised up saying he was the leader of the community. And I guess they kind of flashed to some guy sleeping or looked like he was drunk and passed out. Maybe that was his dad. Maybe that was the real. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, him holding his hand up and then, you know, and all the guards shooting. That was pretty cool. You know, and then Ronan, when he decided to make his move, he's just kind of casually walking up. And yeah, it, it was really good. Everybody else like it or what's your take? The animation style reminded me of this old uh, Japanese TV show. I think it was called Ronan. And then they had one, they had an old comic called Wolf and Cub. It reminded me of that. And then I liked the way they took the old Kung Fu movie mesh you know, the Kung Fu movie style and added it to that. It was just, mm-hmm. it was sick, man. That first episode was tight. Are we just talking about the first episode? Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to say, I think they put the first one the best at, at the beginning. But, uh, that man, it was sick. And then what they implied when he had all of those red gems at the end, you know, it was, that was tight. Yeah. That was tight, that was. you know. As my wife, I guess she didn't like the style. I guess she felt like it was the shading was a bit rough for her. But I thought it was awesome because I knew what they were trying to portray. You know, it's that old Ronin type style. I can't remember the name of that old Japanese show, but it was so tight. That was the best that I have seen. I love that style. It's kind of reminiscent. It was like a dirty form of the style they used in like Ninja Scrolls. Mm-hmm. So when you say Ronan type, I mean that was his name, I think too. Yeah, but that's the I mean, main character. Yeah, um, he also too. A Ronan is also a, a masterless uh, samurai. Oh, okay, so, okay, I got. You. Yeah, if he's going out, you know, killing Sith and stuff. I mean, there's a reason why he's doing it. But I tell you, if like if you got a view of like uh, I think it's called Lone Wolf and Cub. You would understand what I'm saying. So okay. You can tell the well, guy. I kind of get it. Roman's not his name. That's just like what he is. Yeah. Right. But um, yeah, if you ever do get a chance, look up um, like Lone Wolf and Cub and look at, there's an old television series called, it was basically what that comic book was based off of. And then, oh, too, go back and check out, I think it's called The Seven Samurai. The Dirty Dozen was based on it. And right. um, that the way it looks, man, just the cinematography. I know the stuff is old, but it, it kind of puts you in the mind of that, too. I'm writing them all down. Oh, OK. I, I was about to hit the cricket sound effect. <laughs> here it is right here. You hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty awesome. This is good. It's great. I likes it. So I'm taking it by your comment earlier. You've already watched more than just the first one? Dude, I watched all of them. And then you said they put their best one out front, huh? Yeah, dude, I'm sorry, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I just, 
I've Dude. watched like five. Man, I just feel like it was. There's a bunch of potential there, but I don't know if it was just that I was tired. I mean, I, I told you earlier about my, you know, my old age hitting in. I'm yeah. getting all old and stuff with my back. So when I was sitting on the couch watching, man, I had just my back was throbbing. But I, maybe it was just the mood I was in. You know, I just got off work. My back was throbbing, but. Dude, the first one was the best one. It's got a lot of potential, but when the whole thing ended, I felt like I had just watched the second season of Love, Death, and Robots. Uh, we know the first season was a lot better. The second season the, definitely left me wanting. Yeah, uh, but dude, I'm telling you, that first episode of Visions, whoo! Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all different production companies, right? So yeah, maybe, and maybe if you watch a lot of if you watch a lot of anime, when you watch them, you'll go, "Oh yeah, that's like uh, Cyborg 009, and that one's like uh, Gotcha Man, or Transor Z, or Mazinger Z. I'm sorry, or the Getter Robo. You can you can see where the 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 companies came into play with the you know what anime style they're referencing. And he had one, I'm sorry, yeah, we were only talking about the first one. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. The first one is the best. There's a lot of potential there. I'm just saying. All right. Okay. Don, did you get a chance to watch this as well? I did. I broke my ban on Star Wars because I looked at a review and there was some great stuff. And I'm glad I did. That first episode was really good. And, and like DeMarcus said, it, it reminded me of uh, The Seven Samurai. I love the art style. It was very neat. Uh, only a few in the visions where I was like, man, I want to go walk, watch that again. There was a couple that were cute, you know. But this first one, and there's one in there later where they fight this elder, like Sith guy with two swords. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Putting that preview out there. That was probably my second favorite. But I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, when it comes to Star Wars, it's so interesting to see other cultures try to interpret what things mean and stuff how they can improve on it or change it so much where it's just unrecognizable you know but for the most part this could fit in with star wars i mean yeah you got a a droid with a straw hat but (laughs) it just worked and he was like this little battle version of r2d2 and i was like oh that's kind of freaking cool and if you notice there were several different bounty hunters that were fighting against the imperial soldiers like Bosk and golly, I think Sebulba was uh, driving around on the pulp, the, the probe droid. So neat little incursions into it. And what I did like about this whole series, without getting into anything else, there were allegories of like Darth Vader and Luke and Leia and all that stuff. But the ones that really shone through almost created this whole like backstory that you want to know more about. And the first episode was definitely that. I'm going to give that four and a half stars out of five. I thought it was great. Yeah. You know, if, if, if somebody can come in and save Star Wars, I'm all down. Do you think that, you know, so this Star Wars visions is basically the kind of the Star Wars version of what if, I mean, without the, much. the same characters, but do you think that's like a coincidence or you think that's, that's probably what Disney's meant to do, but not what if and this at the same time. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like um, Disney, when they got derailed from doing Mandalorian season three, because, you know, they went and fired Gina Carano and the guy that's uh, playing Din Djarin and the Mandalorian took a job on HBO. So it kind of threw some stuff back. And honestly, I think uh, John Favreau used this time as leverage to say, hey, if I'm going to continue forward, I'd like to get creative control, who who I can hire, who I can fire, you know, the whole nine yards. And that's why you haven't seen anything in so long. I think that this, it was a filler, but I don't think it was a bad filler. Yeah. You know, I, I think it was just like, hey, because think about it. When's the last time we had something new from Star Wars was the last one of Mandalorian, which was... Was that in January of last year? So yeah, you have to keep you have to keep the brand in front of people because really, Disney Plus people started subscribing to Disney Plus to watch The Mandalorian. That's just kind of right? that was yeah. it, you know. Yeah. So that 
that's obviously very, very, it's very, very prominent for the guys that run Disney. And, um, you know, if you get someone that doesn't know the, doesn't have a vision or, or anything like Kathleen Kennedy, you know, who's running it now, she's admitted in articles that, that they never had a plan for the trilogy. They would just do one and then just do the other one and just do the other one. They, they didn't have like an overall outline to begin with. And that kind of sucks. And then it shows a lack of planning. And I think it's very hurtful to the brand. And so I think when she came in and just started wrecking house at the end of Mandalorian, you know, there was a reason why they kept Luke Skywalker reveal at the end of season two away from all the powers that be at Lucasfilm because they, they hate him because he is a, a protagonist and a man. That's my rant there. But I think overall this visions was very good. And, uh, if they do some more of it, I would at least watch it. But I got to tell you, they, when you adhere a little bit more to that cool factor, like the first one did, you could probably make a whole season out of that show. And people yeah. Love. I agree. I wouldn't be surprised if they started demanding to see more of those characters because, like, there's another character in there. I felt like she was a better character than Ray. You know, just I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you I, I you're just, talking about. Her yeah, father was I mean, the Sabre Smith. Dude, I mean, I was more interested in her. And it within that, what, 14, 15 minutes, they gave you more background and more character. You cared more about her than you did about Ray. I mean, she was just, you just met her, but she was believable. Juxtaposed to Ray, it was just like, man, man. See, in in the Force, by the end of the Force Awakens and going off the high of the end of the Force Awakens, Ray had a lot of goodwill. But when they, the way that they wrote The Last Jedi, and by the end of The Last Jedi, I think people were so disgusted by things that happened that, unfortunately, any goodwill that Ray may have had, you know, they lost it by the franchise. So by the time 3 came out, and then and you're just like, uh, oh, yeah, she's going to go head-to-head with Palpatine. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess she's going to win. <laughs> they never gave her any flaws. They never gave her any, any struggles. She's the best ever and stunning yeah. and brave. Okay. What'd you <laughs> say? <laughs> Fucking crickets. Yeah, get rid of that. So, uh, yeah, I thought we were. What? Wait a minute. What did you think about the Star Wars anime? Yeah. I thought did it you was. Already, did you already awesome. say? I, I, I briefly said that I thought it was oh. pretty awesome. I like the way that they did everything. Um, I don't. I don't have any. Now, I will say this. As I said before, when everybody was in line figuring out what side they were on. I kind of picked up the Star Trek more than the Star Wars, mostly because when I was small, that used to come on TV all the time. And then when I was much, much younger, you know, we didn't have cable. So, I mean, it was watch Star Trek. So it wasn't until now to where I'm really kind of getting into it. And yeah, I have seen some movies. I'm not like some other people that have never seen any of it at all. I'm one of the biggest anime people in the world. I love anime. To be honest, I think I'd rather watch anime than, than anything else, period, because it, anime gives people such an awesome platform to to kind of do whatever they want with. Because let's be honest, even in the film industry, when they do movies, there's limitations. To a certain extent, there's no real limitations when you're in an anime. So the storytelling is always great. Because, I mean, if you want to have somebody do a flip, a flip twist, spin, kick, punch a dukin hey carlton uh, can. yeah that's why i think cowboy bebop on netflix is gonna flop yes i 100 agree because this is some things that you can't do live action and have the same flair or a potency than it does in anime i mean technology has gotten to a great point don't get me wrong we can do a lot of things and we can do a lot of things well but Let's be honest, there are some things that we can't really do that well because, and this is kind of getting on to another subject to a certain extent, but I'll at least touch on it. Haroni Kenshin. I don't know if anybody's seen the live action Haroni Kenshin, but I was disappointed. It yeah, that thing so I couldn't even get through it. Yeah, it was more of a samurai film, like an old school samurai film. And I think they struggled with the correct amount of action with the correct amount of mystery. Right. 
you had a lot of questions. You had a lot of deceit. You didn't know what was going on. And it, it looks like they came in like midway into the story, not at the beginning, where I think that, you know, Batosai or, or Haruni Kenshin would have really shined. So for people that don't know anything about it, it was different. It was a bit much because you have no idea what was going on in some of the characters. And I'll be honest, the, the, some of the people that they had playing the characters were just like, no, that doesn't feel right. So I'll just say that in order to do a live action anything, it has to be handled appropriately. And not many people know the formula and know how to actually, I guess, produce it or move it forward. So now I said all that to say, now the reverse can be done and it's done well the majority of the time. Like with Star Wars, that's live action, right? You take a Star Wars and you put it into anime form and imagine all those things that they really couldn't do in a live action Star Wars that now they can in an anime or or cartoon form, whatever you want to call it. Or animation, let's just say that, because there had already been animations for Star Wars for some time. But kind of taking it from that genre, putting it into the anime pool, and just kind of letting it spread its wings and move forward, man, that's a big thing. And I've only seen episode one. I really want to get into the rest of the episodes. But, you know, the Ronin, the Roman's droid, the Sith, you know, how the Sith was introduced. So I was like, man, that I don't know who that is, but that is a... That's a bad mamma jamma that whoever that is is about to do some things. I don't know when they about to come out and all the anticipation surrounding. OK, but they're about to walk out. This person's about to walk out any time now. It's about to go crazy. And that's exactly what happened. This cat or this female Sith shows up with her damn umbrella lightsaber spinny umbrella. <laughs> and she... Yeah. She described blocks, it perfectly. <laughs> she, she blocks every <laughs> she she blocks every beam that shot at her and does all this other crazy <laughs> stuff. She even chops up the, the Gatlin guns into little itty bitty pieces. And they did straddle a line, though. I will say that nobody really got as jacked up as they could have been. Like as soon as the boss, sit, right? It was, uh, didn't he get cut in a million pieces? They didn't show him falling in a million pieces, but yeah. we should pull that thing back nah. through him. No, nah, they didn't go. You know what? It must be the rating. What was that rated? I don't know. Because, But you know what, though, man? Lightsabers have always been clean, though, dude. Yeah. They cauterize as they cut, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. I'm not expecting, you know, blood to be gushing everywhere or whatever, but not even a butt. It was just different for me to kind of see especially with animes nowadays animes nowadays are very they don't really try to hide anything anymore there's blood there's guts there's you know cartilage there's bone whatever you want to call it that they put in and this one you could tell was definitely aimed at not only an older crowd but an also younger crowd because like i said it was an interesting story it was it was an adult it was almost an adult theme but you could still bring the kitties in and, and let them watch it as well so yeah, it's imagination because I mean I saw him in my mind get cut up in a million pieces and yeah yeah she ripped that thing back through him yeah so I mean it was I enjoyed it I give it a uh, nine out of ten man it was great one hundred percent so with that being said we're gonna touch on what we know about the sequel to the Matrix I saw the trailer for it and we don't really know that much because they haven't really put that much out there. But we do know that a lot of the characters have come back to reprise their role, right? We know that Keanu Reeves is coming back. We know that Carrie Ann Moss is coming back. And those are pretty much the two main figures in the Matrix. Their love story is is legend. Uh, Neo and Trinity. That's who those two characters were. We actually come in with Neil Patrick Harris. He's sitting in a chair. And I guess he's some type of um, psychiatrist. And he's talking to Neo about some of the things that he's seeing or Keanu Reeves, whoever Keanu Reeves, the character, whatever they're calling him in this right here. I'm sure it's not going to be Neo anymore. They're calling him something else. I don't remember what it was. But basically, I guess being his psychiatrist, kind of, I guess, helping him out, figuring out some of the things that he's seeing, it goes into him seeing some type of premonitions 
or past events that have happened in the matrix. And uh, we see that there is going to be some type of reawakening of Neo as well as Trinity. And somehow or another, Morpheus is back. Of course, I don't know if we're going to get Agent Smith or the original Agent Smith back or whatever the case may be. But from what I saw from the actual trailer, I think that this is going to be an awesome movie. Now, I think it's going to be a good movie. I hope it's going to be a good movie because I loved all the Matrixes prior to this. So that's that's what I'm going to say to that. (laughs) That's that's what I'm going to say to that. What are you guys uh, anticipating for this year? Are you excited about the Matrix movie? I hate Lawrence Fishburne is not going to be in it, but he's too old. He's lost. He's lost it. Yeah, I don't think he can kick that high anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, lots of things have happened. You know, look, and I'm going to be honest with you fellas right here. There's a lot of speculation about what we're going to see in The Matrix. And if anything I've learned from these movies is that I probably don't know exactly what the Waskowski person is uh, thinking anymore. There's lots of blue pills and there's lots of one red pill. So, I mean, I'm confused. What I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down I'm going to rewatch all three Matrixes before this comes out. I know it's coming out soon, and I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to make time. Because I think I love the first Matrix. I don't recall a lot of what happened in two and three. I've only seen them once. And perhaps they aged well. But again, speculation. And if I got to speculate, I'll go with you and give them the benefit of the doubt that it might be a decent flick. Thus ends the speculation. Well, thank you, Hank Hill. Uh, next time we have you on, we'll have you talk about all your propane and propane accessories. What do you do? What do you do? Little dude. I've never been a big Piano Keys fan, but I know that I'm changing my mind about him because I've read that he's a really nice guy and he's good to his fans and all that kind of stuff. So I've never seen any of the Matrix movies. Really? Really. And I'm going to go back because I watched the trailer and I thought, that looks pretty cool. So I'm going to go back and do what uh, old DK was talking about and and watch them. What He's going to rewatch them. I'm going to watch them all before it comes out. So. I can be ready. Yeah, otherwise you'll just be a creature of speculation. Speculate. <laughs> I'll be a speculating. You'll be a speculator. Gotcha. Speculator. You don't want to be a speculator. Uh, speaking on Keanu Reeves, man, that guy has been through a lot. He is truly one of the coolest dudes in Hollywood, man. He has remained incredibly pure over his career as an actor. And you know what? My hat's off to him, man. That's a dude that I would love to sit down and just have like some coffee with and just just chill and talk about things. That's the type of cat that I heard that Keanu Reeves is, as well as that I've seen, you know. But I mean, nobody really knows what anybody's like until they get them behind closed doors and, you know, have conversations. But I mean, he seems legit. He seems as though everything that he does is genuine, which is a very very hard thing to find in this world uh, these days. So um, I'm definitely excited to see what's going to happen. I'm always going to be a fan of, of Keanu Reeves. I'm always going to follow him with everything that he does because the majority that sounds of, a little stocky. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm not capped out outside his house. I don't know where he lives. I don't know his favorite meal or anything. I'm just, you know, just saying. I'm. I'm, I'm I used to say he he went to the Brendan Fraser School of Acting. Wow. <laughs> hey that's terrible. <laughs> All the like I've been watching Brendan Fraser in uh, Doom Patrol, and and yeah, that I was. I think a, he's just grateful to still be acting. That's what I think. Yeah. He fell off. He was one of the biggest action stars in Hollywood at one time. Yeah. And then he just fell off. He was horrible. (laughs) But he was. I like Mummy. Mummy was funny. He did good in Mummy. George of the Jungle. I found that ridiculously... (laughs) Okay, so I found it funny. Because he didn't really talk much. Yeah, and Sino Man was funny. 
I had a couple other ones where were, they were pretty hilarious as well. But yeah, Brendan Fraser is an interesting guy. I don't really plan on holding my breath to see him do anything, anything big anymore or anything else other than Doom Patrol. And Doom Patrol was an interesting adaptation of the comic book, which I didn't follow at all. Watching Doom Patrol with my wife, which uh, that's our thing now. Every once in a while, we'll pick out something to watch. And Doom Patrol was like the most, because I just got through the first season and it was one of the craziest things ever. To be honest, it kind of caught me off guard. It was good, but it was weird. Yeah, yeah. Man, and I'm going to tell you what else I'm having. I'm having a problem with Titans. I'm like, what is this? You know, I'm still going, what is this? Check it out. (laughs) Oh, crickets, hold on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, I haven't really started the Doom Patrol. Uh, now, as far as with Titans, I did watch season one. And, uh, you know, if I had to speculate, I would say I'm not really into it too much. Yeah. Yeah, Titans, I had some issues in the very beginning with Titans that kept me from continuing to watch it. They changed it too much. That's always my gripe about when they bring things to live action is everybody wants to do their own adaptation. Like, stop, like, stop, 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 stop. You're messing up a good thing here. I mean, all these people, the people that you're trying to please, right? The people that you're trying to please, the purest, they want to see this, okay? They want to see this Titans. Like, like you got to put your spin on it. Boy, Raven is a very interesting character. You know, Starfire, oh boy. Man, I really feel like in their efforts to to be woke or to be uh, inclusive, okay, I've gotten used to uh, Starfire being Black. I wish they would take some point. I don't feel like they know how to put, to light her because she's dark-skinned. The lighting they're using, it just doesn't fit her. I mm-hmm. This is no slight against her being dark-skinned. It's a slight against the director or whoever's setting up that stage that doesn't know how to do the lighting to accent or beauty. Because, I mean, I don't know if it, it's not my computer setting or my, my television setting, because, I mean, I got the settings higher than giraffe lips. And it's like, you know, it's still not enough. I'm sorry. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. But, I mean, they just don't know how to do lighting for dark-skinned black people on that set you know it is what it is can i get amen amen i'm not allowed to comment upon the skin tone of uh, various african-american actors uh only because uh, it might be speculated that i have a racial bone in my body that is of uh, of an inappropriate manner ah i can speculate myself okay i'm a speculator as much as anybody else is. And I speculate that they didn't do it right. And I'm upset about it. And I don't like it. Because I don't like it. Wait change. a minute. Wait a right? doggone minute. Let me just hold on. You is a racist. You is a racist. <laughs> I dare and you. I got proof. I got proof. Lies. Because when you had your bad sheet hanging out on the line to dry, I says, hey, why is it you got two holes right now? And you says, it's cause you play the ghost. And I said, it's about four months to Halloween. You is a righteous. You is a righteous? No. I know it. I know it. You, now, you you listen to Murr now. I ain't no dag-blinded racist, all right? I just like to get ready for Halloween's early, all right? Is, is that a crime? It's not a crime of race to Christists. To get ready for things early, all right. I tell you what. See, this is why I come stay with your in my up. dang house, and I don't come <laughs> out, and I don't congregate with any of you people. All right. Give it up and come out with your hands up. Never. Well, that, that reminds me. Um, you know, uh, Bob Saget is a good friend of mine. You know, I told Bob the other day. I said, "Hey, Bob, you really are to join the." Uh, the Ku Klux Klan. And he said, why? I'm not a racist. And I said, I never said you were a racist. I said, but they've got a hood and they can cover your ugly face. (laughs) Oh, no. R.I.P. Norm MacDonald. 
You say he has a face for radio. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like his face, his face is like a flower. Like a cauliflower, am I right? <laughs> oh, Your face is ugly. No. Yes, fantastic. You say Marvelous his, even. His incubator windows were tinted. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that being said, what we're going to do is before uh, we get stuff out of here, we're going to speak briefly on our story because we started a thing last week where we're going to go into talking about characters within the Immortal Anthem uh, Ballad of the Outlands. So we have two characters that we're going to talk about, um, and that is Anukit and Gib. So Anukit and, and Gib, actually Gib was actually one of the first characters to be made even before we even knew that this was going to be a graphic novel. We, we, this is, Gib was one of the first characters that was even thought about. He is definitely the pride of us, of the people that were first involved with everything. He's basically a guy who is very, very, very dedicated to his family, but at the same time has a way of dealing with things. He has a very inquisitive nature and he's a deep thinker. He is what people would call the Batman of the group. Whenever something happens, he goes into his investigative skills and he tries to find out his, everything that he can. And his powers are very interesting as well. Should we go into that or should we just kind of leave that for them to find out in the graphic novel? Um, Probably want to let them find out about it in the novel, give them a reading to want to learn how to read or read the book. All right, yeah. all right, all right. So with that being said, you heard them. Guys gonna have to learn how to read uh, them public narrations. That's gonna be coming out with the illustrations. So um, basically, though, he's a good guy that is always trying to do the right thing and uh, follows the rules. He kind of worries about himself more than everybody else following the rules, though. Which I guess in turn he's kind of like uh, bats in that as well. With that being said, I'm gonna turn it over to. Ivory Mike and Ivory Mike's going to tell you a little bit about Anukit, the other well, character. I wanted to touch on Geb for a second. He is like the, like you said, Batman. He is a, the broody type. And you made a good point about him being more worried about himself. He's a natural leader and he leads by example. If they're doing things that aren't exactly what they were designed for or what they were supposed to be, you know, he kind of lets it slip a little bit, but it's more of a him, you know, leading by example. And Anuket is pretty much the complete opposite of that. She is the playful, sexy, kind of valley girl, gum popping, you know, badass superhero. And she knows she has a confidence about her that she knows she's tough and she kind of looks at the humans as kind of playthings almost. But uh, yeah, I, I guess we won't talk about her powers either, right? No, we're going to also leave that for the novel, the, the, uh, the novel, as well as some of the information that's going to be coming up on the website and things of that nature. Once again, we can't wait to kind of uh, debut this to the world and, uh, and kind of see what everybody thinks as we start to come out with more information. We will give you more information. We've already went over Gib. We've went over Anukit. We've went over Heroes. And that is who you're going to be looking at and who you're going to be introduced to in the first six pages of the graphic novel. So with that being said, that concludes everything that we're talking about today. Once again, I just want to thank all of our listeners, as well as my co-hosts here, Ivory Mike, DK yes, Thomas. Sir. Mr. DeMarcus, and uh, I appreciate every one of y'all. And um, let's go ahead and let's call this a day. And we will reconvene next time. Farewell. Okay, then. Take care. You've been listening to the Infinite Worlds Podcast. Thank you for listening. And please, if you have any questions about the things we were talking about or would like to comment on any of today's talking points, please follow us on Twitter at InfiniteWorlds6. 
Instagram, and Facebook at infiniteworlds.us. And if you like what we do, please support us by recommending the podcast to friends and family and by supporting us through Patreon or the listener support option given on this platform. See you next time.